Welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast, where reverence meets relevance. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message by our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly. What? What? What what y'all think? What y'all think? I got a chance. You think I'd have a chance to win the highest office in this land? Would you vote for me? Well, listen, by the time this message is over, you will understand why I would never have a chance to win that. I'm so glad you are here. Welcome to New Hope Church. How are we doing, church? We're doing good. Welcome to this community of faith. Welcome to all of our campuses. Welcome to the the New Hope Church over in Garner, uh, North Carolina. We love you guys. Love you guys. Love what's going on over there. Welcome to the ladies of the North Carolina Correctional Institute. Welcome to the Internet Campus, to the Latino Campus, um, to you at Central Campus, and definitely welcome to our newest campus in Sanford, North Carolina, that launched last week. Now, I don't know if you've heard what went down there, but they had, and the count's kind of tricky, some counts, they're not sure they counted children, and some was around, you know, 400 without the children or whatever. All I know is they had somewhere around 500 people at New Hope Sanford last weekend. Unbelievable. Let me show you a few pictures. Let me show you. Here's one. Here's all the volunteers that served over there, and they got it started. You can tell they are fired up. Here's the house and one of the worship services. They were packed every service. Look at there. Packed in there, leaning in uh, with the teaching on the, on the screen. And here's my favorite one because I'm a big fan of the white hands. Every campus you go to, you will see that right there. So, hey, I'm just thrilled. Can I take a moment just to um, give credit where credit is due? I want to uh, thank God for our campus pastors. Nate Mariner, Sanford campus pastor, he is doing an incredible job right there in Sanford, North Carolina. Derek Mall, who was our first campus pastor, doing a phenomenal job over there in Garner, North Carolina. Joel Rodriguez, who is our Latino uh, campus pastor. Connie Gaines, who leads our women's campus at North Carolina Correctional Institute. Now give it up for all of them at all of our campuses. On. Believable, And since I'm talking about pastors, let me just kind of take it on down the field a little bit, if you will. Allow me just a moment here. Uh, October, somebody created, I don't know, a long time ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago. Somebody created, somehow or another, they made October Pastor Appreciation Month. And I stand up here almost every year and ask you to do me a favor. I ask you to honor our pastors. And I always tell you, don't worry about me. Pull me out of the equation. Um, But I want to ask you, and I'm a little late, it's October 28th, so we're a little behind the curve, but you got the holiday season, right? Hey, listen, seriously, why don't you bless a pastor if a pastor has blessed you? Let me just name them for you. Fuller, our worship arts leader. Why don't you bless that guy? Just hold them all to the end. I know you want to clap. Just hold them all to the end. And he's, he's got some pastors underneath him. I can't, I can't name everybody, but just, let me just name the, the, some, some pastors here. Chad Lunsford, who's our Connections pastor. Amy Lynn, who is our Family Ministries pastor. Scott Stevenson, who is our Student Ministries pastor. He too has some underneath him. Ryan Brooks, who was the only brother who just stood up when I came out here in a suit. <laughs> He'll stand up. Now, let me, let me show you something about Ryan. I want to show you something. Hey, he had his baby. And at 29, if I get this right, 29 and a half weeks old. Let me show you one of my favorite pictures of a baby. Wesley Brooks, that's, that's Ryan's hand, the hand of the dad covering the child. That's, that's about how big my little twins were when they were born. Preemie, doing good, doing good. April, doing good. Everything's going well. Let me keep going. Derek Mull who is our Garner campus pastor. I've mentioned him, Nate, Joel, all these pastors. Why don't you bless one of them this holiday season? Let them know what they mean to you. Let them know how they've blessed you. Listen, ministry is hard. Will you bless them? 
Drop them a card. You don't know the best way to bless them? Here's a great way to bless them. Give them a gift certificate to a restaurant and tell them to date their spouse. And make that bad boy Ruth Chris while you're at it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Can we give it up for our pastors? And one last thing. I always feel awkward just saying pastors. It doesn't have to be a pastor. We have like... 50 staff members here. Pick one that you like. It can be your favorite. It's okay. I know you got favorites. It's all right. Pick your favorite and bless them this season, and it will go a long, long way. Okay. Um, Here's the deal. My voice is about 40%, so I'm going to try to keep my throat lubricated, and I'm going to try to pace myself. Um, But ever since last Sunday, when we went to four worship celebrations for the very first time, um, my throat hasn't healed since last Sunday. I mean, the holy hangover that usually lifts about Monday evening has been on me all week long. So I don't know if it's my voice or if I'm coming down with something, but I ask that you would pray for me while I'm teaching. Will you do that? And I will pray for you while you're receiving the word of God. Amen. Why don't we just pray real quickly as we get started? Father God, take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and fill with them. Lord Jesus, take my lips and speak through them. For if you do not speak today, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. And all of God's people said. So here's what went down. Um, If you get emails from this church, you got this from me. Um, Monday night, Monday night after the presidential debate, I watched the third and final presidential debate like I watched all the other ones. And when I got up from that, I was just feeling all kinds of things in my spirit. My mind was racing. My heart was racing. I didn't sleep very well. I went to bed. I woke up on Tuesday morning to do my sermon prep, which I do every Tuesday in my study at my house. I can't prepare a sermon here at the church. There's just no way too much, too much activity, too much, too many interruptions, too many things, too many people to love on. I just can't do it. So I, I kind of get away every Tuesday, stay at home, work on my message all day long on Tuesday. So I got up Tuesday morning and prayed, and uh, it was very, very clear to me that the Holy Spirit was speaking very loudly, saying, you shall not start the shift series on Sunday, but instead you should start a new series called Jesus and Politics. And I said, excuse me, God? And he said, oh, yeah, you thought about this in the summer. You knew it was the right thing to do then, but you didn't. And so I had to obey the Holy Spirit. So here we are starting a mini two-part series on Jesus and politics. You don't want to miss next Sunday. We will wrap up with Holy Communion around the table of the Lord on the Sunday right before the election. Thank you for being here. Grab your pen. Grab your teaching notes. Lean in. Let's go get a very complex, nuanced subject. I need you to put your thinking caps on today. I believe the church should not be a place where you check your brain at the door. And many of you have been turned off by certain churches and religions because they wanted you to check your brain at the door. We've never done that at New Hope Church. Let me tell you a few more things before we jump in. Some of you are here today and you really, really, really want me to endorse a candidate. Some of you are here and you're like, oh God, let him endorse that Governor Romney. Others of you are here and you're saying, God, let him endorse President Barack Obama. (laughs) Really? Really? You, dear sir, and others of you are going to be highly disappointed if you want me to endorse a candidate today. I don't think that's the role of your pastor. I'm not here to endorse a candidate today. I'm here to teach you how to think. I'm here to teach you how to understand and live faithfully in the day and age in which we live. Some of you are here, and the last thing you want me to do is endorse a candidate, right? That's, that's, That's the others of you, right? That's the last thing you want me to do. Some of you are here, and you are just sick and tired. I mean, you are politicked, if you know what I mean. I think I just created a word. You are politicked off. You're sick and tired of the whole political system. And regardless of where you are today, I want you to put your thinking caps on, and I believe some serious light bulbs are going to go off for you today if you will lean in and follow me. So here we go. The truth is, as Christians, we live, in the words of John Stott, we live in between two worlds. 
We live in this world as a, as a, a citizen, but we also live in this world. If we're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, I'm not really talking about you right now. I'm so glad you're here, but I'm talking to the Christians in the house. As Christians, we live between two worlds, or as St. Augustine would say, we live between two cities. The city of Rome, or the a city of this earth, and we live with the heavenly city. What I'm trying to say to you is if you're a Christian, if we were to frisk you, and we won't today, don't worry. Uh, but if we were to frisk you, we would find two passports. We would find your United States of America passport because you are a citizen of America. And secondly, if we frisked you further, we would find a passport, if you will, declaring your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the question is, which passport for you is most obvious? Are you first a citizen of America and secondly a citizen of the kingdom? Or are you a citizen of the kingdom and then a citizen of America? Now to get at this, I've got to walk you through 2,000 years of church history. I promise not to make it painful. And I promise to make it quick. Okay, I'm going to broad stroke five key eras or movements within the last 2,000 years. Because here's the deal, church. We can't live faithfully within our day and age if we don't rightly understand the day and age in which we live. So let me just walk you through that. There are some places for you to take notes. I want you to write all this down. You really need to know this stuff. The first era after Jesus, or actually during Jesus, is the apostolic era or early church. And this went from about 6 B.C. to A.D. 100. It is what scholars and biblical historians, etc., refer to as the apostolic era. Okay? The early church era. I don't have it on the screen, but it'll make sense later. The pre-Christendom era. This is the day and age in which Jesus lived in. This is the day and age in which most of the New Testament was written. Okay? The early church apostolic era. If, you, if you're with me, say, bring it on, pastor. Oh, you're with me. Then you get to about the year 330 AD. And this is known as the Constantinian era or the beginning of Christendom. Now, what I mean when I say Christendom, Christendom was the era in which the, the religion of Christianity was the official religion of the state. This came about after Constantine won several big battles, one being the, the Battle of the Milvanian Bridge, the second being around the year 313, when Constantine actually declared, listen, Christianity as the official religion of Rome. And from that day forward, Christendom began to be a Roman was to embrace Christianity. He became, he became a very famous patriarch, if you will, saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And we were off and running for about 1,200 years of the Constantinian Christendom era. If you're still with me, say, bring it on, Pastor. Then about the 16th century, a man by the name of Martin Luther was the founder of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not talking about Martin Luther King Jr., different century, different day, different person. Another hero of mine, but I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about Martin Luther, who actually got sick and tired of the indulgences and the corruption that, that filled up the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church actually chained, literally, the Bible to the altar as a way of saying to the people, you shall not get your hands on the book of God. We will interpret it for you. Okay? There, were, there, were, there was corruption throughout the Catholic Church from the Pope all the way down. To the altar boy, if you will. Martin Luther got, and I'm not, I'm not bashing the Catholic Church. Some of you came out of the Catholic Church. But you know what I'm saying is true. History doesn't lie. And so in this year, in 1517, Martin Luther actually went to the door of the Roman Catholic Church and nailed the 95 Thesis up on the door as a way of saying enough is enough. And thus began the Protestant Reformation of which you are a part. We are a part of the Protestant Reformation. If you're still with me, say, bring it, Pastor. Bring it. Then we get to 1960 to 1980. This is where it's going to get hard for some of you. Here we see in this particular, and, and, and there's a window of time there because this doesn't happen overnight. But here we start to see the beginning of the end of Christendom. 
The beginning of the end of Christianity being the religious state or the religious faith of the state, be it in Rome or in America. Here is where we see there starts to be a divide in America. See, up till then, basically to be a good American was synonymous with being a good Christian. Those days are long gone. I know that makes some of you uncomfortable, but that is reality. America is no longer a Christian nation. Granted, we're still in this slippage. We're still on this this transition from Christendom to post-Christendom. But you can go back and look at every state in the Union. And the truth is, things started to unfold, which indicated that the ground underneath our feet was actually shaking. And America, America the Great was moving away from being a great Christian nation. In my home state, I would, I would give you, if I had to give you a date, and it's hard, but I would give you 1963. I wasn't even born yet. In 1963, the blue laws came crashing down in South Carolina, probably similar to North Carolina. And in 1963, Lord forbid, restaurants started opening on Sunday. In 1963, you could go see a movie at that, oh, that movie theater place. And you could watch a movie on Sunday. And, and like, I wasn't even born until 1970, but as a little kid growing up, I could still listen to the old timers and my parents and their friends talking about the fact that the world was coming to an end. It was a watershed event. Every state has certain events, and some states are more progressive than others. But in South Carolina, I would, if I had to pin something on the calendar, I would pin 1963. That's when you started to see the beginning of the end of Christendom. That has continued and continued and continued until I would say 1980 to present. And again, there's still, there's some gray area when we look at these errors. But I would say to you that right now, we are in the post-Christendom era In the United States of America. What I mean by that is no longer is it commensurate to be a Christian. Is to be an American. And to be an American is to be a Christian. That's no longer the case. And some of you don't like it and I understand it. But listen beloved. I'm not here to tell you what you like or what I like. I'm like you. Sometimes it troubles me deeply. But the truth is America. The political system. All of that 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 involves is no longer a Christian country. Let me just connect the dot there. That's why when you go out of our driveway on Sunday mornings, you see a sign. When you come in, you see a sign that says, welcome. Who knows what the sign says on your way out? You're entering into the mission field. It used to be that that the mission field was over there in another country. No. America is now the mission field. Yes, Christianity is still popular. Yes, it's still widespread. But it is no longer the official religion of our country. So let me just ask you a few questions. Do you think the collapse of Christendom was a good thing or a bad thing? Don't, you don't need to answer it out loud. Just, just think about it. Here's a second question. Which era from those that we've looked at earlier do you think is most helpful in thinking through the church as it relates to politics? Which era do you think is most helpful for us in the 21st century to think about and, and learn from? The early church era. The pre-Christendom era. Why? Stick with me. Because we are now entering back into an era that is most commensurate, most like the early church era. There's never been an era since the church started to exist that is more like the early church than the era in which we live right now in the United States of America. We live in a post-Christendom apostolic era, whether we like it or not. This spring, I took 24 people to the Holy Land. Some of you are here. I'm sitting here looking at you. And we went to the Holy Land. And at the end of our trip, we visited a place called Masada. Masada, maybe you've been there before. Masada is on the eastern edge of the Judean desert. It was late in our trip when we went to Masada. It was the first time I'd ever been there. Let me show you a picture of Masada. That is a city, my friends. A fortified city built by Herod the Great. When I went 10 years ago, we actually had to hike up that bad boy. This past time I went, they had, had installed a cable car, and I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we rode the cable car up Masada, 
And we walked around and spent the day there. Look at the next picture. This is our group. What an amazing group of people. We had a blast. Yeah, I see some of you out there now. If you're like, well, I want to go to the Holy Land, good. Mark your Connect card because I'm going back in 2014 and I'd love you to go with me. This time we're probably going to go in the steps of Paul and uh, it's going to be awesome. Let me show you how these people that lived in this fortified city looked out upon the rest of the world. There it is. Now look at one more, one more picture of the, the, the uh, north side. That's, the, that's where uh, Herod the Great built his palace. That on the left-hand top side, that was his palace. My point is this for you, church. As the ancient people of Masada lived amongst the world, they actually lived, and I thought about this both time I visited, as, I, as the wind just kind of blew, if you could listen to it, you could hear the voices of a people who lived in the world but not of the world. As you looked at the fortified layers and the walls, you could see the bone and the blood. These were a people who lived in a world, listen, that no longer embraced their belief system. They were, if you will, aliens. Like, like, have you ever considered yourself an alien? Like, no, don't elbow your spouse. I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about your kids. You ever look at your kids and like, man, those, they're, they're aliens. Who are they? Right? Or your neighbor or your boss. I'm not talking about that. But I'm, I'm talking about, have you, ever, have you ever considered yourself, if you will, a resident alien in the United States of America? You're like, where do you get that from? Right here, Hebrews eleven thirteen. The Bible says this. All these people. Let's read it out loud. Here we go. Ready? Go. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Come on, church. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were and strangers on the earth. Do you see it? First Peter would say this in First Peter 2.11. You did that so well. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. Dear friends, I urge you as and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. The writings of Scripture, particularly the writings of the New Testament, can only rightly be understood. And I would say Americans living in the 21st century can only rightly understand the Scriptures and implement them into their worldview and into their personal lives by understanding that as this world goes further and further south, as America moves further and further away from Christianity, we will continue to feel more and more and more like resident aliens. I mean, we'll actually get homesick. You know why you get homesick, beloved? Because this world is not your home. If you're still with me, say, come on, pastor, bring it on. Good, I'm just making sure I saw a few people sleeping because I know history, history's tough. What most Christians need today is not some pastor telling them how to vote. What you need today is a pastor telling you how to think and how to live in the 21st century. Go to Matthew 5. Oh, we were there last week. Matthew chapter 5. If you weren't here last week, please go to the resource center and get the message. It's all about the church and why we do what we do. And at the end, uh, at the end, we held up glow sticks and we sang that powerful song, God of the City. And if you weren't here, you know, stinks to be you. That'll teach you not to miss church. It was awesome. <laughs> Unless you're a guest. I'm not talking to you. But it was awesome, man. We, we, we declared it God of the City. Remember, I looked at this passage. This is where I ended, Matthew 5. Where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. I want to back up just a little bit today. And I want to read verse 13 through verse 16. You won't see this on the screens. I didn't even have this in my notes. I just feel led to go here in the moment. Here we go. Matthew 5, 13. You, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now listen, guys. When Jesus said this, he wasn't talking to Rome. He wasn't talking to religious, political people. Jesus was actually hanging out around the Sea of Galilee with a ragtag group of followers, a motley crew, if you will, his disciples. He doesn't say to Rome, you're the light of the world. In fact, he says to his followers, that would be you and that would be me. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, how many of you like a little salt on your food? You can own it, you can own it, you can own it. Now, what you need to know is when this text, when we read this text, we think about salt being used as a flavoring ingredient. That's not what they used salt for back then. 
Salt in those days were a preservative. Like the reason that, like how many of you got refrigerators? Come on, refrigerator or freezer? Yes, yes, that's all of you. How many of you got that one out in the garage? And don't be ashamed, like I got two refrigerators. Like, like the one in the garage is the bomb, if you know what I mean. Like how many of you got two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we don't need salt for the reason they needed salt. They didn't use salt as a flavoring ingredient. For them, salt was a preservative because they didn't have refrigerators and freezers. Jesus looks at his church. He says, you're the salt. You're the preservative of this faith that you treasure. Then look at what he says. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says to not the political structure, not the Caesars of this world, not the the religious leaders of this world. He says to his followers, to the movement known as the church, he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are the preservant of this thing that we treasure. Let me give you a few uh, statements that I hope will just sink deep into your mind in the water table of your soul. Put your thinking caps on. Here we go. The habit, you'll see these on the screens. The habit of Constantinian thinking, Christendom thinking, in an American context that is no longer Christian, forces us to judge our ethical positions not on the basis what is faithful to the word of God, but rather on the basis of how much Christian ethics we can induce a non-Christian culture to swallow without choking. The image I'm trying to conjure up there for you is the image of a child being forced to eat vegetables. Like, how many, I don't think parents do this anymore. Like, we don't have to do it anymore. My wife is just good at making vegetables tasty and our kids like them or she makes them fun. But how many of you, when you were a kid, you were like forced to eat your vegetables? Dude, it was awful. I can remember sitting at the, at the dinner table and my mom and dad telling me I had to eat the string beans and the corn. And I can remember holding my nose and sticking them in a I remember taking them, and when they weren't looking, sticking the vegetables in my hand and putting them in my pocket. <laughs> Am I all alone up here? Guys, just, just let the image set in for a moment. That's what you see taking place in the political arena these days. You are seeing Christians often trying to force our Christian ethics and values onto a culture and a world and a country that is no longer Christian. Oh, I see light bulbs going off now. That is why you see the clash. That is why you see all the tension going on. I know, I mean, you'd have to have your head in the sand if you didn't see all the tension going on these days about abortion. Did he just say the A word? Yes, I did. It's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. Every commentary, every pundit, every major news network. What you're seeing is major clashes on the subject of abortion. And here's why. Every time I see it, I think, there it is, there it is, there it is again. Here's why. You see people in the political stream, the political networks of our day, and they, they were raised on Christian values or they were, they're, they're interpreting the Bible in a certain way and they're trying to argue against abortion and what you see on the mainstream media and in the political system is an all route. How dare you try to force your abortion worldview or your abortion ethic upon us? We don't even believe what you believe. And that is why we have to understand the day and age in which we live. Because what you're seeing now as a knee-jerk reaction to those people trying to talk against abortion, you're seeing the other side of the political spectrum actually talking about abortion as if it's just some flippant walk in the park. As if it's, as if it's, as if it's not even a, a, a life. Yeah, I, listen, I'm not going to preach a message on abortion. I've done that before. 
And ma'am, hear me out. Don't just dismiss me right away. You can't pigeonhole this old boy. And you, you can't take what I've said in four minutes talking about abortion and kind of conclude, you know me. Because here's the deal. I've preached a message on abortion before. And I've had tears rolling down my face. Some of you were there. And my voice was cracking. Yes, I've talked about this subject. But can we not at least all agree today? Even if, even if you're for abortion, can we not agree today that abortion is an awful, horrific situation regardless of where it takes place? I mean, tell my brother Ryan Brooks that that's not a life that just came in the world prematurely. Can, can we just not all agree? Come on, see, you're, you got so tense on me. Man, he's talking about abortion. Woo! Come on, come on, come on, come on. Ma'am, ma'am, dude, listen, I love you. This is not a message on abortion. But can we not, regardless of where you stand on this issue, can we not all agree that abortion is unfortunate? I mean, do you know that 48 million people are not going to be able to vote this year? 48 million. You're like, I didn't hear about that. What did they start to do? Have they started to enforce legal immigration? Or where, where did that come from? No, no, no. 48 million people cannot vote this year because that's how many people have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. And what you're seeing on the TVs and what you're seeing on the internet and what you're seeing in the debates is one side trying to talk about a certain ethic from a, a Christian biblical perspective. They're failing miserably at it, by the way. And you're seeing another side trying to say, no, 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 how dare you try to make me swallow that? It's called post-Christendom. It's the death of Christianity being the religion of America. One more quote. Here we go. The habit of Constantinian thinking. Put your thinking caps on. The habit of Constantinian thinking, Christendom thinking in an American context that is no longer Christian causes the church to water down Christianity by filtering it through basically a secular criteria like right to life or freedom of choice, thus pushing our Christian agenda on an unchristian world as a kind of universally applicable common sense and calling that Christianity. You with me? Think about that. Is it any wonder why mainstream media and non-believers get fed up with arrogant Christian assertions? Because we Christians, listen, can no longer expect a non-Christian post-Christendom Culture to embrace our values. This is huge. So what do we do? Let's talk about the politics of Jesus. Here's the first one. Write it in. Write it in. There's a place for you to take notes in your bulletin. The politics of Jesus, they first and foremost cause us to pray. As Christians, we should be praying for this election. Can I get an amen? As Christians, we should be praying for our country. As Christians, we should be praying for the church. Sometimes I wish those who are most vocal and passionate about politics would pray with as much passion as they do supporting political candidates. Hello. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are what? Called by my name, will do what? Humble themselves and pray and do what? Seek my face. Let's continue. And turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see it? We should pray. If my people, the Bible says, if my people will humble themselves, if my people will pray and seek my face, if my people will turn from their wicked ways, and then look at what God says he'll do. He'll hear from heaven, forgive our sins, heal our land. Listen, have you prayed for this man? Some of you are like, heck to the no, I ain't praying for that dude. <laughs> Have you prayed for this man? Some of you are like, heck to the no, I'm not praying for that. Listen, we, we're a split country. So much for being the United States of America. We aren't united about much of anything these days. Have you, seriously though, have you prayed for this man? Have you praised God for the fact that regardless of whether you're going to vote for him or not, seems like a man of integrity who loves his wife and loves his kids. That's something the church should be proud of. Have you prayed for this man? 
Regardless of whether you're going to vote for him, he seems like a man who loves his wife and loves his girls. That's something the church should be proud of. Have you prayed for these guys? Have we as a church prayed for the election? I have. We did a few weeks ago in church. Why don't we do something today? Why don't we just pause and pray for the election? Like, why don't we as a community of faith right here, those of you on the other side of the television screen or internet or the other campuses, why don't we just pray right now? Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's just pray for the country, the world, the church. Father, with November 6th right around the corner, we come as your people. We come as your church, God, and we're trying to wrap our minds around a subject that is incredibly difficult. Father, we want to pray for this election. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you are able to do anything you want to do. Father, would you bless the election? Father, would you bless your church? Would you show us how to live in this tricky day that we live in? Father, would you, as people show up to vote, as so much voting is already taking place, Father, would your hand move upon your, your people particularly and upon the United States of America? Father, would your will be done? We pray that you would put into office the person that you want to put into office. As we'll look at later, the scriptures declare that you, you can decide. You actually have the officials in office that you want to have. God, as hard as that is for some people to understand at difficult, difficult and different times along the way, we trust you. Would you move in this election? Father, we pray for the world. God, we pray that your spirit would brood over the planet once again. Father, I pray for the church of Jesus Christ that we would live as a peaceable people. Father, never let us give up on peace. God, we pray for the nations that are waging war. God, we pray particularly for Syria. Would you show us how to, how to live, how to believe, how to be as a nation and as a church? Lastly, God, I pray for your church. I pray for the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Father, would you show us how to, how to live faithfully in the midst of this transition that we are undergoing right now, God? The truth is, it disturbs many of us. But it doesn't change the fact that these are the days in which we live. And God, it doesn't change the fact that it creates an incredibly exciting opportunity for the church to be the church. Lead us and guide us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. What's the first thing we should do? Pray. Here's the second thing. Think biblically, vote civilly, and submit to governing authorities. Write in the word biblically, civilly, and submit. Think biblically. I want you to go to the polls and vote. I think everybody should vote. If you don't vote, you have no reason and no ground on which to stand to criticize anything over the course of the next four years. Right? So vote. How many of you have already voted? Wow. Yeah, early, early voting is the bomb. Okay? I haven't done it yet, but I will. But vote. But as you go to the polls to vote, as a Christian, again, if you're a Christian, I'm, I'm speaking to the believers in the house, think biblically and let your biblical worldview shape the way you vote and then this is this is hard submit submit to the governing authorities that is a word that most of us don't like to say right so let's try it submit come on come on submit you did better than i thought you would it's an amazing amazing concept that we are to submit to our governing authorities. Look what Romans 13.1 says. Romans 13.1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except which that God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Do we have that? Should be on the screen. Here we go. Romans 13.1. It's coming. I believe it. There we go, Heidi. Everyone, everyone, read it out loud. Everyone. Hey, I did the Greek. I, I did a word study on everyone. Guess what it means? Everyone. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Come on, church. Let's read it together. Here we go. Next slide. 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I know you wrestle with that one at times in different seasons of your life. Here's the third politic of Jesus. And this is the one I'm most passionate about. Be the church. Be the church. The very best thing we can do now, church, the very best thing we can do on November 6th, church, and the very best thing we can do beyond that is to be the church. Notice I didn't say go to church. Be the church. Remember last week, we sent you out as the light of the world. We go and we live as a people called church in the midst of a world that no longer values and believes what we believe. It means when we go into your neighborhoods and your subdivisions and your apartments, you're the church. When you go into the universities, you're the church. When you go into the workplace, you're the church. I believe many, many people get so wrapped up in politics. Christians get so wrapped up in politics because they believe if they can get the right candidate into office, they can then just wash their hands of the responsibilities that rightly belong with the church. Did you get that? What if? Come on, come on. What if the church led the way in loving random acts of kindness? What if the church led the way in pointing people to the God in whom we trust? What if the church led the way in feeding and clothing the poor instead of expecting the state to do it? Hello. What if the church led the way in equality and justice for all? What if the church, come on, get a picture of this, please get a picture of this. And again, don't go put me in a pigeonhole over the abortion thing. But just, just try to imagine this. What if the church was such a community of faith that we so embraced life, all life, that when a young wedlock girl showed up in our church pregnant, we didn't throw stones at her and kick her while she's down. But instead, we say, come among us and let us help you raise that child. What if we so embrace life that abortion would hardly ever even become an option? Not the political system, the church. What if the church lived out this ethic? What if the church led the way in not only the pursuit of happiness, but the fulfillment of joy? What if the church was also known for grace and truth? I mean, you've been to those churches where we're all about the truth. We're about the truth. And that gummit, we're mean about it. And we're not going to like you and we're not going to smile and we're not going to be nice to you. But we're about the truth. We're a part of the body of Christ. Yes, sir, you are. You are the butt. <laughs> what if we as a church were, were, were about grace and truth? Jesus said in John chapter 1, actually John said about Jesus, here comes Jesus, the Messiah of the world, full of what? Grace and truth. What if, what if we held those two in tension and said to the world, here is where you find both? Last one, last politics of Jesus. Here we go, part one. Determine your allegiance. Determine your Allegiance. I got a question for you today, and it's a serious question, and I want you to ponder it. Don't answer too quickly because it's one that you can answer too quickly and actually tell yourself a lie. Who do you pledge your ultimate allegiance to? Who? Spouse? Hmm. Should be, you should be allegiant to your spouse. You should be faithful, no doubt. The country? Christ? And you say, well, we can do both. Uh, not so sure anymore. The more that we go anti-Christian in this country, the more we step fully into a post-Christendom era. Listen, the more you will find that being a follower of Jesus is diametrically opposed to being an American. Hello. Are you with me? Like some of you know that one of my greatest pet peeves in life is, um, and I don't know why things like this bother me so much, but hey, I am who I am. Uh, this drives me crazy when I go by a church 
and a church has flags in their churchyard. And you know there's an etiquette to how you hang flags. You know there's an etiquette how, how flags are flown. And the one on top is your ultimate allegiance. The one on top is the one that, that, that reigns supreme and anything underneath. You go to every church in America. I'll say this, 99% of the churches in America who fly flags out in the yard of their church, this is what you'll see. This is it. Some of you grew up in that church. I'm not bashing that church. I'm just telling you that's one of my pet peeves. Who in the world ever declared that the United States of America flag is going to be on top of the Christian flag? Some of you grew up in churches like this was the church I first went to, and I'm so grateful for this church back home. Trinity United Methodist Church, downtown church, choir, bells and whistles, baby. I mean, it was uptown First Street Church. You walked into the sanctuary. On this side of the sanctuary was the American flag, and on this side of the sanctuary was what? The Christian flag. What's that all about? Do you see the mixed messages? Who are you going to pledge your allegiance to? Big questions today. When I'm at a sporting event or I'm at a school event or any, and they, they, they stand to say the Pledge of Allegiance, can I just tell you that it's in that moment that I'm a very uncomfortable person? Words matter. Like when I'm in a group of people who do the Pledge of Allegiance, I struggle. Because listen... I don't pledge my allegiance to the United States of America. I love America. And I didn't say that in the beginning, I don't think. Listen, I love this great land. I've been known, and I've told you this, my kids look at me like I'm crazy. But when I travel abroad, when I get back into the United States of America, I've been known to fall on my knees and kiss the sidewalk. I love this great land. I love the fact that we're the land of the free. I honor and, and, and just appreciate so much those men and women who serve our country in the armed services. Can I get an amen? I love our country. But I don't pledge my allegiance to our country. Sorry, Governor Romney. I don't pledge my allegiance to you or your political party. Sorry, Barack Obama. I don't, I don't pledge my allegiance to you or your political party. And Ralph Nader and whoever else. I don't even know if that dude's still around. <laughs> the call of the church is not to pledge their allegiance to a particular party. The call of the church is to pledge your allegiance to one and one and only. And his name is Jesus Christ. Christ, I don't pledge my allegiance to a man or a woman. I pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ and Him and Him alone. Because here's why. Here's why this is so important. This guy, if he gets elected, he's not the solution to all the problems in our world. Neither is his party. If this guy stays elected, he's not the solution to our problems, New Hope. The solution to the problems in this world is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. These are politicians for God's sake. They lie. <laughs> Don't believe 80% of what they say. Listen, come on, come on, come on. This is so... So important, new hope. Listen, do not put, I don't care if it's a white man or a black man or in four years, Hillary Clinton rolls back up into the scene. If it's a white woman or a black woman, I don't care if it's a Latino man, Latino woman, Asian man, Asian woman, nobody, no human being is the solution to our problems. There is only one solution and his name is Jesus Christ. Because listen, church, when Jesus Christ returns, he's not going to be on a donkey or an elephant. He's going to be on a white horse. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And he reigns forever. The politics of Jesus are not about conservatism. The politics of Jesus are not about left-wing liberals. 
the politics of Jesus, if you associate him with any of that, if you put him in that box, you trivialize the name of Jesus. Don't go putting him in a box like that. This is not a race about deciding the next president, though it might seem like that. And though that's the case for America. But for you and me, if you're a believer, again, I'm talking to the believers in the house. This is an election. This is an opportunity to proclaim the Lord over the world. And this has intergalactic implications, church. This is bigger than a one-time vote. This is about voting with your life, church. Who are you going to stand with? Yes, you should vote. I will vote with you. But who ultimately gets your allegiance? Quite frankly, I don't care about your political party. I really don't. I just bothered some of you, the first group, you know, you want me to declare who you should go vote for. I don't care about your political party or who you stand with. If you're a person who is a part of New Hope Church, I care about you declaring your ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ and realizing that he is the only solution to our problems. Yes, the world is calling you to a voting booth. And I got to tell you, I'm going to go. And when I go in there and I cast my vote and when I walk out, my hope is not built upon any candidate. My hope is built upon nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He reigns supreme forever and ever and ever. This election season... It's time for the church to cast our vote for a different kind of candidate. And his name is Jesus. And to him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this season. God, you are greater than all of this. I pray that our church would get a fresh glimpse of who you are. God, I pray that you would reign supreme. God, never let us get so confused in our politics that we start to to blur the lines. God, this Sunday, as every Sunday, this November 6th, as every November 6th, it's about who will get our ultimate allegiance. So, Father, as we move into a time of worship, I pray that every single person here would decide would actually wrestle with this huge question. Who gets your heart? Who gets your allegiance? God, we want to be good citizens of the United States of America, but more importantly, God, most importantly, we want to be faithful citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, we stand with you. And yes, we pray for our country. And yes, we pray for one another. But Lord, we will never confuse. We will never sell out to you for the sake of politics. We will align our lives with you. And Lord, as our culture continues to move further and further away with you, when those things are diametrically opposed to one another, we want you to know we will not sell out. We will be yours. In faith, in life, in deed. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopenc.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.